I think it's utterly amazing of what has been unleashed and opened like a tomb roll back at the outpouring of glorious music that has come forth in the celebration and understanding of Easter and the resurrection. I'd like you to think a little bit about today and perhaps when you are having dinner this noon, talk about what does Easter mean to me and us today? What did it bring to us? Brian Lair on NPR on Friday was asking people to call in, Jews and Christians, about their feeling of Passover and Easter, and I only heard one, and I was driving, and I almost went off the road because the Christian said, well, you know, I believe in the resurrection because Jesus died for my sins and bought my place, and so I can assured of a place in heaven. And Brian said, well, what does it mean to the world? It said it means that Jesus is the way, and he bought and paid for us. And that hymn we sang now said, Jesus brought us, did not buy us. And the concept that God would ever, for a moment, have to be paid off to deliver us is such a misconstruing of the richness of this time and what it meant. But God's love poured out gave us one who blazed the trail of showing the way in the words of the, of the Song of Songs, love is stronger than death. This week there were some interesting articles. Newsweek had Forget the Church and Follow Jesus on the cover. Some of you may have seen it. Andrew Sullivan did an article, and I commend it to you. It's a good one. It's really given insight of where churches are and how in the world are we going to get Jesus out of the entanglement of the construing of the ages around the church and he challenges us wonderfully and and then time talks about heaven and an interesting insight on the literature and the discussion of that Uh, but the text for today is my favorite one on Mark as I it's it's the first of the gospels the shortest of the gospels and the resurrection scene that ended in the eighth verse The church had to add on because we can't live with the incomplete and what isn't put together. So uh, the church added verses that weren't in the original manuscripts. But the original story talked about the amazement of their coming to the tomb, like all of us fearing, how do we get to him? And then uh, when they did to see the angel who said, he's not here, he's not here, go to Galilee and he'll meet you. And I think that uh, idea, and they, and they were worried, astonished, stunned, but going to Galilee. And I think that's our trip today, that we will see Jesus in the Galilees of our life. 
And I think the finest theological statement or insight on that was done a hundred years ago by Albert Schweitzer, who said in the ending of his wonderful book on the quest for the historical Jesus, as one unknown and nameless, he comes to us just as on the shore of the lake he approached those men who knew him not. His words are the same, follow thou me, and he puts us to the task he has to carry out in our age. He commands, and to those who obey, be they wise or simple, he will reveal himself in the fellowship of peace and activity of struggle and suffering till they come to know as an inexpressible secret who he is. And Schweitzer went on to say, he kindles the fire of ethical faith. And the ethical is the essence of religion and is firmly planted in the authority of Jesus. And so Jesus' love was not dogma, but deeds, an understanding of it. What he came to say is that we have a vision not of law, but of love, not of control, but of compassion. But there's something in the human condition that really is anxious until it has control. But Jesus was saying, we don't control, we love, we share, we understand. Robin Myers, a UCC pastor in Oklahoma City, and I think it's the Pilgrim Church, and he's been there for some years, uh, lecturing, writing, outstanding pastor, and here's a really good liberal UCC church on the buckle of the Bible belt. And he's been able to practice and proclaim richly across the country and is an outstanding preacher. And and his book, The Underground Church, is one I'd like to share with all of you. It's really an insight, an opening of, of how the church can and does move. And he uses in it some of my favorite poetry, a Mary Oliver about gentle Jesus talking his melancholy madness to open up the understanding. And then he uses one of Wendell Berry that I'd like to read, but it's a little complicated. But Wendell Berry is somebody you've got to know. I mean, he, of anybody today who understands the human condition and who understands what it means to be a person of faith and responsibility, Wendell's got it. And in the end of that poem, he used a phrase which I took for my title. He said, practice Resurrection. And one of my colleagues said, what are you talking about? And I hope you'll get to the point um, that Jesus came to subvert the principalities and powers and open them up to a community of caring. Jesus is a threat 
to the status quo, to injustice and exploitation. And the church's challenge is to be subversive of a status quo that forgets the other, the lost, the needy, the place of understanding. And so who practices it? Who is one that, that catches a vision of that? And I can't help but think, as I said before and I say again, that Martin Luther King, when he stood on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial and said, I have a dream, was practicing resurrection. When he talked about the vision that he had for all of us across the country of every place, and, and spelled out in eloquent terms, as has not been heard before, that compassion and that understanding that we be one people. And like the Christ, they killed the dreamer, but they did not kill the dream. Because to pay the price of interpreting a dream may be costly, and it will be if we struggle with viciousness and, and, and evil and forgetfulness of other people. And so he calls to us. And Abraham Joshua Heschel, great rabbi, came out of the Holocaust and came to America and immediately came at a time when he was sensing the, the uh, evil of segregation and he said, I have to come from one to another and add to it. And he would march with Martin Luther King on the marches and he was King's rabbi uh, and, 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 and Abraham Heschel gave us a great line. As they were marching, he said, we pray with our feet. And I hope we'll remember that two weeks from today when at two o'clock a bunch of us gather to do a crop walk because we're going to pray with our feet all over Greenwich. And I hope some of you will join and, and, and be a part of that. I went to a Seder, invited by some Jewish friends, and, and repeating the Seder, I thought, if that's what Jesus was hearing on the Thursday night before he shared the cup, it's about a compassion and bringing people together that we can break out of the bondage that paralyzes the human spirit and the human aspirations and the human way to move along. And then last week, I got a great Easter gift. Barbara Norgard introduced me to Herman Racing. How many of you here remember Herman? Was any? Yeah. At a moment of transition in the life of this church, the wisdom of God and the work of the Spirit called him out of retirement. He was almost as old as I am. And he came here to give some glorious years because Herman was a prophet. He was a preacher. He was a pastor. And we've got to have a retrospect of Herman because this is a part of the heritage of this church. To lose would be like burying our treasure uh, in a place where it should be out and, and continuing fermenting among us because he was one who struggled with the injustices of a society. He struggled for peace. He was one that uh, was, was brought before congressional committees. He was, he was judged to be radical and, and dangerous. And miraculously, he wasn't imprisoned, but uh, well could have been. And 
Herman spoke bravely and forcefully and creatively to the country and to the world, but praise God, he spoke to this congregation. And we we dasn't forget him, because what a gift he has brought to us and for us. And so we, we have a heritage we cannot forget. And so we were also practicing resurrection. When this church brought a Bosnian family, Muslim, to this country and gave them new life. There are many places in here where we have to celebrate the resurrection that has come out of this. But, and there are many places. I think FDR, when he gave that fireside speech in the 30s when the nation was afraid and said the only thing we have to fear is fear itself, was practicing resurrection for a country in depression. And there have been many moments where words have come and can come to us, but I think that Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, when he spoke at the cemetery where many had died, was practicing resurrection. And so, I'd like to ask you, how are you going to practice resurrection? Think about it. I think the agenda for us, particularly coming out of Easter, is how can we practice resurrection? There are many places and many possibilities, and some of them aren't as dramatic or as dangerous, but if you really get into the habit of it and then you begin to struggle with the structures, they may be, so you've got to be ready to understand that love is stronger than death. But think about how in the creativity of your life, in your world, in your place, you can practice resurrection. And if you have any trouble, we'll be delighted to work with you on it. And you can instruct us where we aren't practicing resurrection. And Craig is forever giving us those ways to help us lift us up and show how the great musicians have practiced resurrection. So my challenge on this Easter day is to go out with the joy of the possibility and the excitement of what God has yet to view when he rolls back the stone of our limited vision and calls us amazingly into the world to begin to share with him who died because people did not know how to love but was willing to die to show us how to love. And so let us love one another, love the world, and practice resurrection.